Welcome to the Grace for This City podcast. We're helping you turn your city upside down. Hey, I'm your host, Justin Goff. Stay tuned. We got a great show for you today. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome. Welcome to the Grace for This City podcast. I'm your host today, Bob, and we're helping you turn your city upside down. How are we doing that? We're giving you biblical strategy and motivation so you can get out there and get some stuff done for your King, King Jesus, that is. Hallelujah. We got a great episode planned today, and we're going to get right into it. Hallelujah. God bless you. I'm glad you're here. I'm excited about this. Um, I run across something the other day and it was talking about having a biblical world view. And, and that's where I want to center this podcast is having a biblical world view. You know, at the beginning of our podcast, we always have a little intro thing and we say, talk about turning your world upside down. Well, Where do we start doing that? Where do we turn our world upside down? We're just one individual. Well, the first place we need to begin is ourselves. We need to turn our world upside down. The way we want to do things, the way we do things, we need to turn it around to do it the way God wants it done. And as we do that, we turn our homes upside down. Now, sometimes that can be tumultuous, but but we need to turn our world upside down. And it starts individually with us. It comes from our homes. And then we reach out into the community and eventually the world is going to be turned upside down. Jesus did that. He entered into the picture and everything that they had been doing, everything that they've been teaching, everything that they had thought they were doing right He came in and turned things upside down. Well, we need to do the same thing. Um, One of the things about this podcast that I I watch it, and sometimes it's almost like sitting down and and, um, having a Bible study. But really, it's not about having a Bible study. Yeah, we're going to look at the Bible. We're going to look at the Word of God. But it's not a Bible study. It's more of a Bible embracing. It is embracing the Word of God. It is pulling it into our lives so that we can change. And as we change, we can turn the world upside down. Hallelujah. We want to be embrace the word. We want to be transformed by the word and we want to be enveloped by the word. You know, the chances are, if you're listening to this broadcast, um, you already have a biblical worldview of the Bible. You, you know, different people might have different levels of that, but we want to make our whole worldview biblical. Um, if you're a non-Christian and you're watching this, this is what we want you to grab a hold of. We want you to grab a hold of the word of God so that your life can change and then you can go out and change the world. You know, Paul wrote in Romans 10, 17, he said, so then faith come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That, folks, is not only a biblical worldview, 
But the way that we become grounded and steadfast in God's plan and purposes for this world. We want to have not just a worldview, a, 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 the way we look at the world. We want to be, have it based biblically. So what is a worldview? What is a biblical worldview? Well, I looked up an article. I found an article. I've got it here someplace. And this is written by um, a Dr. Mike Norris. He's a pastor of a church, and in, in, I believe it's in Tennessee. But he wrote an article on looking at the world from God's point of view. And he wrote, everybody has a worldview. From the pygmy tribes in the Congo to the cufflink staffer in the White House, everybody has a philosophy of how they view the world. Simply put, a worldview is simply the way that a human being looks at life, the way we perceive things. Everyone has a lens that they look at the world through. And the way we look at the world makes all the difference in the world. It determines how we define reality, as well as how we relate to one another. Everybody has a lens through which they interpret where life came from and why bad things happen and what their purpose of existence really is all about. Everybody has a worldview. You and I as Christians choose to have a biblical worldview, which means that we view life through the lens of God's word. We believe the Bible is inspired of God, inerrant, and infallible. But sadly, few believers can put their hands on what they believe as their worldview, because do we really because we really do not know what the Bible teaches. Let me re say that again. He wrote, but sadly, few believers can put their hands on what they believe as their worldview because we really don't know what the Bible teaches. Not everybody, he wrote, not everybody you live around has the same worldview as you do. Now, if you've ever been out in society as a Christian, you have seen that. You have, you've, in, you've encountered it. He writes, in fact, thanks to 75 years of public education, most of those living around you have an opposing worldview. Now, he said 75 years of education. This article was written over a decade ago. So it's been more than 85 years now. But he writes, there are also those who have a confused worldview because they attempt to mix a biblical worldview with a humanistic worldview and then wonder why everything seems so mixed up. Is that true? Have you run across people like that? Have you run across people in your circle, in your, in your Christian circles, in church, in meetings and different things, and their worldview seems to be a little skewed but not quite with what we see the Bible wants it to be. So he has in here, he says, a person's worldview is formed in many ways. Number one, by culture. 
The civilization that he lives in, his society, value system, customs, arts, and his heritage with all its traditions, traits, and ideals. So you can have a worldview that's based on your culture. You can have a worldview based on education. That's his second item here. What he has been taught as truth. What you have been taught as truth might be your worldview. Please understand that you and I are a product of what we read, watch, and subject our minds to. You know, when you look at that, and as a Christian, if we are opening our minds up and we're watching things, we're reading things that are not biblically based, we're going to get a skewed look at the world that's not necessarily biblical. His third item there is one of the ways that it can be formed is through religious beliefs. What he has been taught as matters of faith. Number four, emotions can form a worldview. How one feels about a matter can be so strong that it outweighs any other logic or truth. Have you run across people like that? Somebody that has a worldview that you're going, where did you get that? Chances are it came from their own emotions and their own desires. And number five, he lists the Bible. Belief in God's written word and adherence to its teachings. That is the biblical worldview that we are talking about. It's what we're seeking. So let's end that quote right there. You know, if we will go to open up our Bibles and go to Romans 12, Romans chapter 12, and we're going to look at the first two verses. And Paul wrote, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. What is Paul trying to get across to the the readers there? That they have to have a biblical worldview, something that is based on God's word. He says that you present your bodies. Now, when we look at that, he's not just talking about this physical tent that we live in, this, this flesh and blood thing. He's talking about our whole personality, the whole person. This would include the soulish realm, our mind, will, and emotions. When he's saying present your bodies, he's saying present all of you, not just the physical part. And then he goes on and he writes, do not be conformed to this world. Well, that conforming is taking on a worldview that's opposed to God's view, opposed to a biblical worldview. He writes, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that which you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So he tells us first to be conformed. And then he tells us we have to transform our mind, the renewing of our mind. That, that word uh, conformed, it uh, means to fashion in accordance. So we want to conform. We want to be fashioned in accordance to God's word. We want to assimilate oneself 
into that, that, that venue, that, that biblical worldview. The word transformed, you know, we can look at the butterflies and how they, they, they go through metamorphosis and they are transformed. They're still the same creature. They just look different. They're, they are molded into this thing. This is what the word of God does for us. It molds us into the image of God more and more and more. Over the years, and even more recently, you know, if, if you pay attention to anything that's going on in the media a little bit or something, I, I'm not a big news watcher, but we have seen ministers and others who have abandoned, rejected, or turned from Christianity. Now, some of these, I, I, I can call them noted ministers. Um, most of them I've never heard of before but they were popular enough where they got the attention of the world media. And then it goes out in the media and you hear about these ministers that have dropped off the scene and, the, and they've denied the gospel and they've turned their lives away from Christianity and from the word of God. But you know what's happened there? Instead of conforming to the word, they allowed themselves to be conformed to outside sources, to alternate worldviews, and even to enforce what they want to believe. They want to take their, their ideas, their emotions, and that will form and shape their values at that point. And they say, well, I don't need the word of God anymore. You know, if you find yourself embracing things outside of the word of God, if you find yourself conforming to, to something that you've watched, something that you've seen, something that you've heard outside of the word of God, you know what? I've got a word for you. Stop. Stop right where you are. Stop listening to that. Stop watching that. Turn away from those people, those friends and what are you going to do? You need to go back to the word of God. You need to reconform to the truth. And sadly, that's what a lot of these ministers have not done. They have, it may be a gradual thing. They have slowly listened to this. They formulated ideas. They listened to something over here. They formulated more ideas. And pretty soon they say, well, this makes sense to me. This tickles my flesh. I like this. I don't have to do this anymore. I don't believe the word of God. And they turn their back on God. That's not God's plan for them. You know, if you find, like I said, if you find yourself embracing something other than the word, stop, stop right where you are. Drop off the scene. If you're a minister, drop off the scene. Just Say, you're going to have to find a new person to take this place. I am no longer going to do this. You drop off the scene. You go get a job at a fast food place. Do anything, but quit ministering the way you were ministering so you can get reformed. You can get reconformed to the word of God. Reconnect and return to your first love. Isn't that what Jesus said about in the book of Revelations to the church of Ephesus? He says, you have left your first love. When we can form to a worldview that's not biblical, we have left our first love. We need to go back and grab a hold of God. 
we need to go back and be in love with Jesus. You know, we don't want to be on the wrong side of this. We, we, we know that we're in the last of the last days. I don't want to be on the wrong side of this, and I know you don't want to be on the wrong side of it. So we need to conform ourselves to his word even more so now. We must comply with what the Lord Jesus is telling his church. Hebrews 10.25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves as is this as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. That day's approaching, and and if your worldview is not biblical, if it's skewed or tainted in some way, I urge you to stop, get back to the one that first loved you and love him back. Dr. Norris went on to write, how you and I look at the world is largely shaped by the culture around us. And our culture is largely shaped by the worldview that is accepted by the majority of those you live with. For example, he writes, if you work in a job in which you are the only Christian present, or if you attend a liberal college, you are probably subject to a pretty tough environment. The same is true when you live in a society that is dominated by a media that is anti-God. The culture is ordinarily shaped by the majority, and you and I have to be careful that we do not let this anti-God worldview shape or change our worldview. Culture around us is made up of the sum of everything that is out there, and it is not neutral. The danger for us is that we become so attached, so enamored with the culture around us that we actually become captive to it. When that happens, the first thing that we begin to question is our worldview. We begin to question the absolutes of God and trust the theories of the world. End quote there. You know, to expound more on, on holding a biblical worldview, let's take a look at Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 34. In that, this is where Paul was, basically he was deserted. The other guys took off. And in verse 16, it says, Now, while Paul waited for them in Athens... His spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Now imagine this. Paul's been going around. He's been, he, idols were not a new thing in his life. He's, he's, he's been through the culture. He knows what's going on. But he's in Athens, and he's got a word of God that he wants to share with them. And every time he turns a corner, there's another temple to this goddess or that God or this goddess over here. But anyway, it says he's, he sees that Athens was given to idols. Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue. Now get that. This isn't just idol churches around. You've got the Jewish synagogues there 
why were they not de- why were they not dealing with that that's a question that always comes to my mind and it maybe is because their rural view had departed from god and was being skewed by these idol worshipers these other religions anyway in verse 13 he goes on and he writes therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the jews and with the gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, What does this babbler want to say? Others said, He seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods, because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. Verse 19, And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying now that Aeropagus, it's actually a a place there in athens it's a high piece of ground there but he took them there and it says may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak for you are bringing some strange things to our ears therefore we want to know what these things mean For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear of something new. Wow, that sounds like walking onto a college campus. Everyone's there to talk about what they've got and what's new and, and how to think on these things. But anyway, verse 22, it says, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. I mean, I can almost, I can hear him saying that, and he's probably even has a smirk on his face. And as for, and as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. I mean, it was like, this is a city where we're going to cover all the bases. We, we don't know God from this monkey over here, or this, this, this uh, cow over here. We're going to worship everything. We're going to cover all of our bases. And wait a second, there's an unknown God out there, and we're going to just submit to him too. Well, the Bible goes on and it reads, Therefore, the one whom he... This is Paul. He says, therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temple made of hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives life, breath, and to all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and is determined that their pre-appointed times and their boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in hope that they might grope for him and find him. I, I get a kick out of that. That they, they, they are blindly looking They are going through all these idols and stuff, but this unknown God that they didn't know who it was, this is who they've been groping for. 
Though he is not far from each of us, Paul said, for in him we live and move and have our being. As also some of your poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devisings. Truly, times of ignorance in time, truly these times of ignorance, God overlooked and now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Verse 32, it reads, And when they heard the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed among them was Dionysus, the Aeropagite, a woman named Demarius, and others with them. Now, we're going to go ahead and stop right there. But you need to picture what was going on in Paul's, in Paul's life there. He was abandoned there. He saw all these idols, and he addressed them to point them in the right direction they did not know the unknown God, and he wanted to introduce them. Okay, now Dr. Norris writes, when Paul delivered the sermon on Mars Hill to a humanistic society in Acts chapter 17, he did it not even remotely questioning his worldview. So Paul was immersed in this thing. He he he. He stuck to his world, his biblical worldview. He was so confident in his belief system, his faith, that he took his biblical worldview and engaged a pagan society that was very sincere in what they believed. He did not back down as he boldly proclaimed his God as true and their gods as false. Let's stop right there. A key phrase that Paul mentions in his proclamation to the Athenians here and to us, you got to remember, Paul, Paul was writing to different people, to specific churches, but, you know, in, in his letters. But here he's, he's also writing to us today. And he says that in verse 28, he said, for in him we live and move and have our being folks that is our biblical worldview that's where we stand that's where we put ourselves to look at everything around us just recently this scripture has uh, come to forefront during my times of meditation and reading and studying i've been spending a lot of time just just going over and meditating on that phrase for in him we live and move and have our being. In fact, it is just something I begin. I begin my the beginning of my days when I get up in the morning. I, I, this scripture comes to mind, and I say, "Okay, Lord, I'm going to move in you and have my being in you." 
today. I analyze my own placement and my progress and what I'm doing. And you know what I'm doing? I'm trying to do what John the Baptist said. He said, I must decrease so he can increase. That's the value I find in every day for myself, that I need to decrease so he can increase. Because in him, I want to live and move and have my being. I've got something I've, I've, when I've been doing this meditation and spending that time, the Lord has given me different things. And I want to share three of them with you. They're, they're different things that I, I, I have made posts on to put on my Facebook page and, and they're of value to me and hopefully they'll be of value to you. But the first, the first one that I wrote was how do we confront face and overcome the tactics and lies of the enemy every day. How do you do that? We do it by living in him, Jesus. For God did not give us a spirit of fear or spirit of timidity, of cowardice, of craven or cringing and fawning fear, but he has given us a spirit of power and of love and of calm and well-balanced mind and discipline and self-control. That's from 2 Timothy 1.7. Consider what it takes to live every day. The resources, tools, knowledge, and wisdom that it takes to live every day. Consider that. All of that is in him. In him, there is provision, protection, healing, guidance, knowledge, wisdom, and comfort. There is nothing we lack in him because he is all in all. And as we live in him, we decrease so he can increase. When we live in him, we move as he does. We are not like him, beside him, or portraying him. Our moving in him allows us to go with him, not him with us. To submit means to get under, but in Christ we get inside. Our reflection in him should and can only reflect him, not us. Our total being, our lives, and movements are in and of him as we are consumed by his presence. We are not only sheltered under his wing, but we are also standing over our enemy on the rock of our salvation who is our high tower, because in him we live and move and have our being. Another day when I was meditating on this and those words come back to me and I allowed the Holy Spirit of God to speak to my heart, this is what I wrote. Getting into him is like getting into a small space. As big as our God is, getting in him is like trying to fit into a compact car. I'm going to stop right there. I can remember uh, growing up, we were a family of six, and my dad went out and bought a 63 Volkswagen Bug. And on Sunday mornings, we five of of the six, we would climb into that Volkswagen 
and we would go to church. And when we would get to church, those doors would open, dad would get out, mom would get out. And it was like a clown car almost all of a sudden, all these tall people are climbing out of this little tiny car. And that's what I envision when I said it's like getting in him is like getting into a compact car. We don't fit in unless we are willing to lose, to bend, to change, and to rid ourselves of some of the things, actually everything. In him is life, and that life is the light of men. How far are we willing to go to get into him to live? At what point do we stop and leave part of ourselves dragging behind? Yes, in him we move. So if we are not all in, then we have chosen to leave things flopping around outside that impedes our movement in him. It's just like in that car. We couldn't have anything of us on the outside. It would impede the movement. When we get into God, we have to do the same thing, even if it means dropping off some of the things in our lives. I went on to write, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's from John 1, 12 and 13. It is his will that we individually be in him to live and move. But first, we must receive him because he loved us first. He, Jesus, is the vehicle that has arrived to take us. It is his Uber, his rideshare, his car, his rules as to what comes in him. He wants all of us, but not all of what we have. When we do that, when we get in him and move in him, then we have our being in him. It is then no longer I that live. And the third thing I want to share with you, what I had written, it's, it's a sixth sense that we've gained from God, from having a biblical worldview, for being in him. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. That's from Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. When we live and move and have our being in him, we can now see from his perspective. We can hear with his heart. We feel his compassion as we touch with healing hands. We smell the aroma of his presence and are surrounded with it. And we can truly taste and see that the Lord is good. But we also gain this sixth sense, his supernatural thoughts, because we are in him. We can think on these things.
Let me see here. I believe I got some more that Dr. Norris had shared. He wrote this. I will give you important components to a biblical worldview below and follow them with some dangers facing a biblical worldview. Let me rephrase that. He wrote, I will give you important components of a biblical worldview below and follow them with some dangers facing a biblical worldview. Six important components. He writes, number one, God is the creator of the world and rules this universe. That's Genesis 1.1. Number two, the Bible is God's word for mankind and is completely accurate, including matters of life and its origin. 2 Timothy 3.16. Number three, because of God and his word, absolute moral truth exists. That's Psalms 102. 25 through 27 in Malachi 3 6. Number four, Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God, and he lived a sinless life, died for our sins, was buried, and rose again from the grave three days later. 1 Corinthians 15 3 through 4 and 1 John 4 9 through 10. Number five that Dr. Norris lists as components to a biblical worldview, Satan is a real being, not symbolic, and seeks to defeat God's plan for man. That's 1 Peter 5.8. Number six, salvation is obtained solely by individual faith in Christ's work on the cross and cannot be earned. That's Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. Then Dr. Norris lists three dangers facing biblical worldview. Number one, not viewing all of life through the Bible. You can't just take bits and pieces of God's word and form a philosophy of life. This is the biggest crime today among Christians. They say, we will only believe those things about God that allow us to still be accepted by society. Folks, you can see that a lot out there. Jesus did not live like that. Paul did not live like that, and neither can you. You and I must run everything through life, from about life, through the lens of God's view of the world, the Bible. Number two that he writes, a danger that's in a biblical worldview, having it. He writes, viewing opposing worldviews as enemies rather than opportunities. I love that. This is one of the hardest things for me to do. But that is exactly what Paul did on Mars Hill. He stood among them, armed with nothing but the scriptures burning in his heart, and spoke to them of repentance and judgment. Mars Hill is a mission field, not a battlefield. Our our apathetic, sensual, arrogant, and sometimes perverted culture is not the enemy. Satan is the enemy. People are an opportunity for evangelism. We must get off our defensives, get off our defensive, and get on the offensive. 
The Bible says that those around us who have an opposing worldview have their minds blinded by Satan, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on to them. That's 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Number three that he writes, not believing your worldview is absolute. Not just right, but absolutely right. Paul preached to pantheists who believe in many gods, not one God. Paul preached to the elitist of his days, the poets, the historians, educators, culture shapers. Paul preached to idol worshipers. Paul preached to mockers. Paul preached to unbelievers. Paul preached to evolutionists. Acts 17.24. Paul preached to racists. Acts 17.26. Though we live in a liberal society that is fast being overtaken by other religions, we do not immerse ourselves as fish in a fishbowl of the world. Rather, we immerse ourselves in the truth of the Bible. This is the only way we can get live a victorious life, God-honoring life. What you believe means nothing until you put it into action. That's his end quote there of what he wrote. As I've already referenced, reading the word of God is imperative. We need to stay in the word. Our faith comes by reading the word and reading the word and reading the word. This is where our biblical worldview comes from. This is the best way to remain in him and move in him and live in him. And that requires that we put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 13, 14 reads, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of our flesh. That's what we need to do. We need to put on the word of God. We need to conform to his word. If we ever step out of that confirmation, if what we are to conform to, if we step out and allow those other things, our biblical worldview is not biblical. It's all or nothing. I urge you, folks. I urge everyone that's listening. I urge you to to get into the Word of God. Stay with the Word of God. Let that become the lens by which you look at the rest of the world. We need to have a biblical worldview. You know, there's more, I I've actually could have more on this. I don't have it with me today, but you know what? I'm going to be sharing some of this on a, on a Wednesday night service of putting on the Lord Jesus Christ so we can be enveloped by him, that we can see through his eyes, move the way he moves, love the way he loves. Folks, we want to have a biblical worldview, and I urge you to acquire it. I urge you to make it a part of your life. 
Thank you for joining us today. This has been the Grace for This City podcast. Hey, if we could stand with you in prayer, it would be our honor. Send us an email with your prayer requests at hello at gracecitychurch.tv. That's hello at gracecitychurch.tv. Or call us, 870-741-9099. We'd love to celebrate with you. Let us know what the Lord is doing in your life. Hey, if you'd like to partner with us to keep the podcast out there going into all the nations, you can do so. You can mail in any donation, tax-deductible donation. You you can mail it to P.O. Box 7, Harrison, Arkansas, 72602, or text to give 84321, follow the prompts, or gracecitychurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you, friends. We're so honored to have you join us on the podcast. Hey, until next time, be blessed.